On today's episode, we expose one of the most blatant scientific hoaxes of the 20th century, and we try to figure out who was behind the fraud that fooled scientists for decades. There's a rare isotope of hydrogen that gets us into heavy water. Love the chemical reaction in the brain So let me be your Bunsen burner Let me be your naked flame Burn, baby, burn Let me be your Bunsen Welcome to Light Your Bunsen Burner, the science history podcast that lights up your mind. I'm Mariela Rosas, and joining me as always is a man who was cobbled together from different bone fragments. That's right. I'm still recovering from the last episode. <laughs> um, I am uh, made up of all the missing bones from the, the missing link. I am your co-host, Jonah Baker. <laughs> so thank you all for joining us today. In uh, previous episodes, we've talked about how Amateur scientists have made amazing discoveries, uh, whether that was Susan Hendrickson finding Sue the T-Rex or, you know, William Herschel, you know, spotting Uranus. Uranus. And, I mean, it was pretty easy to spot. Is it so big? <laughs> Gaping? Bam, right there in your face, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, these are just a few examples of individuals with no formal education in scientific fields who have and, you know, will continue to provide valuable research. And well, today we are going to discuss and an amateur archaeologist who likely perpetrated the greatest scientific frauds of the 20th century. Amateur frauds. I like and, this, where this is going. Oh, like amateur person, but professional fraud. Oh, nice. <laughs> like, like Ocean's Eleven or something or what? Um, Sure. All right. I don't. I don't think I ever watched Ocean's Eleven. Eh, it's just a bunch of big names thinking they can. Uh, it's steal. Just, it's just like one of those movies where. Yeah. It's just it's just a vehicle to put as many actors in as possible and make the most money. Without it's good because Brad Pitt's in it, <laughs> and like all other names. Clooney. Sure. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> hey, he could he could play. We could cast Clooney in the movie of this. He'll probably do better in this than Batman. He can have nipples in this, too. All right. His, his costume can... Yeah, it was the See, Clooney. Clooney, we care about your nipples here over at Light Your Bunsen Burner. <laughs> because he totally listens. Obviously. I mean, just look at his work. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, the implications of, of this of fraud... Of Clooney's nipples, <laughs> misguided anthropology for decades, <laughs> and tarnished the reputations of several illustrious paleontologists. So basically, we're going to be discussing a cautionary tale about scientists rushing to conclusions in search of glory without, you know, doing that rigorous investigation that you should have in a scientific field. So scientists will be prematurely finishing? <laughs> I, I got nothing <laughs> Okay <laughs> Awkward uh, So Jonah What up How old do you think our earliest human ancestors are? This many? <laughs> no, no um, What maybe like 
seven thousand years old or something like that. Seven thousand. I don't know. <laughs> Where are you getting your information? The Bible. Um. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um. Not a, a little bit more, like at it. Like fourteen zero. or something like that. Hundred forty. More. Okay, two hundred forty. No, okay. Um, hundred forty billion. <laughs> The universe isn't even that old. <laughs> hey, God was forever, right? Or some okay, shit like true. that. <laughs> All right. How old is the human race? Okay. So kind of in the overall scheme of things, humans have not been around all that long, right? Um, you know, considering that the earth is around 4 billion, 3.6 billion years old, humans or like the, the divergence point of humans and apes is estimated to have occurred over six million years ago, so that like thousand seven thousand that you said just add a couple zeros. Okay. Um. So although the exact dates are still kind of under debate because you know dating techniques aren't completely exact, the last common ancestor likely roamed the Earth around the late Miocene, uh, and several specimens of early hominids. Uh, Show likely links between apes and modern humans. Species in the genus in the genus are de- oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in, in the genus oh fuck. Um, the genus Artipithecus, uh, so like A. Cabada and A. Remitus are among some of the oldest specimens found. I'm sorry, folks. I cannot download updates right now. <laughs> um, well, let me update you on these ancient hominids. <laughs> yes, I was going to look at these ancient <laughs> hominids right now. Um, um, isn't like one of these guys from um, uh, the like I guess the Washington area? Is in the it? U.S.? Yeah. No. No? Aw. I thought there was like a hell of old like species from that area or something. No, they're actually in the U.S. there weren't any hominids until um, humans crossed the Bering Strait. Oh, okay. And that was 50,000 years ago? Like, most early hominids came from Africa. Okay. Humanity came from Africa. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And then there's other points, uh, evolutionary points in different geographic areas. You know, whether that was in Asia or Europe or... um, The Philippines. Oh. Is (laughs) that... uh, Anyways, yeah. So there's, there's, you know, like, Artipithecus, um, like, A. Cabada and A. Ramitas, I think they're... Like six million, like yeah, like six million, and then like four point six million years old. Damn, and they're four point like, six million. They don't look a day under one, you know. <laughs> yeah. So hey, Artipithecus, how you doing? <laughs> they were very small. I don't know, and kind of hairy. I don't know if that's your thing, Jonah. <laughs> I guess there's only one way to find out, huh? <laughs> Um, <laughs> so if you're small and hairy, come say hi. <laughs> Jonah loves some small and hairy. Why not? <laughs> Don't um, we all? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, like like large and smooth. Okay. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> anyways. What species is that? <laughs> what time period was uh, large and smooth? <laughs> oh, not any time soon or recent. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Okay, yeah, this this whole thing's going off the rails. Anyway, okay, back yeah. to back ancient to, hominids. Yeah, those good old hominids. Uh, 
so, like, these, this, these much older hominids, like, the oldest known specimens of what uh, early human ancestors were, these were found more recently with, you know, brand new techniques and better understanding of human evolution and, you know, evolution in general. When the first hominid skull was discovered in 1856, naturalists of the era, they had absolutely no idea what it was. They didn't recognize what they had. And that's because... Uh, Charles Darwin's Origin of Species wasn't even published until 1859. Oh, I've heard of that guy. Yeah, he's he's cool. He did some shit. And then, yeah. you know, monkeys. M- monkeys banging <laughs> monkeys. Brother, sister, or something like that. Cousin, brother. Cousin, cousin. Cousin, brother, bang. Cousin, brother, sister, monkey. Cousin. Monkey. <laughs> monkey's uncle. Who cares? It's all blasphemy, right? Yeah, I'm sure he's burning up in hell right now. Considering that the Earth is seven thousand years old, <laughs> he could be uh, turning over in his grave. He might, considering like the the what we're doing with his story. <laughs> He's like, oh my god, should have never published that stupid book. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'm just trying to get laid by his. He was married. Well, by his wife then. She she didn't like what he did because he thought he was going to go to hell. She was oh, super man. religious. Lose-lose well, <laughs> for him. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, so although Darwin elaborated, elaborated the theory of evolution by natural selection, he refrained from tackling the notion of human evolution, specifically in just the origin of species. Um, he was hesitant because he did not really have a fossil record to back up any hypothesis. But he also feared that there would be backlash because, of course, during this time, there was still, uh, you know, like the church still had a lot of influence. But by the 1800s, stone tools and some, you know, bone fragments had been found, but were, you know, they were thought to be just a few thousand years old. So even though Darwin, he there are bones being found that are, you know, from ancient hominids. Like, he doesn't really know about these because the scientists of the time don't know what they're finding. They just think that they're finding stuff from, like, very recent people. Um, But then in 1857, the first really significant ancient human fossil was discovered in the Feldhofer Grotto in the Neander Valley by German miners. And, you know, coming from the Neander Valley, what do you you think they found, Jonah? Um, Neanderthal sandwiches? (laughs) <laughs> what it, what would it would it what what oh maybe it's like a restaurant out there so yeah they're just, they just found out <laughs> they like, found a sandwich they're in the called. middle of nowhere mining and then they're just like oh they get hungry and like it's... let's just go get a sandwich <laughs> yeah so what they found was a skull cap and other small bone fragments that looked kind of human but they had a massive brow ridge unlike any modern human And while some correctly identified the species as an ancient human species, others attributed the anatomical features to a pathological condition. So they just thought, oh, we just found the bones of some sick, you know, old person. Like elephant man or something like that. Yeah. 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 They're like, oh, this guy just had a deformity. What if it was like an alien and he just like crashed here because of the sandwiches were so good and ran out of gas one day and, and couldn't get a spaceship started again. So... So Neanderthals are aliens. Is that what we're going with? <laughs> we're turning into that podcast. I mean, <laughs> sounds a little bit more fun than Elephant Man. Yeah, that would 
it's a little less sad. Yeah, that yeah. was really sad. <laughs> I am not Ooh. an animal. We should do that one. Okay. <laughs> so, back to this. In okay. 1871. What a year. Do you remember that? Yeah. Was, that was a good time. That was a yeah. good summer for me. Mm-hmm. You know, practice a lot of witchcraft, you know. Stoned a lot of people. Or gun stoned. Got stoned or something with a lot of people. <laughs> something like that. Something that had to do with stones. <laughs> So in 1871, Charles Darwin published The Descent of Man and Selection in Relation to Sex, in which he argued that all of the known evidence was consistent with humans having evolved from a common ancestor shared with apes. He speculated that Africa was their place of origin and that human ancestors had gradually taken on their current form since then. So again, kind of following that natural selection, at one point we diverged from apes And we became, you know, the the homo species, homo <laughs> genus. <laughs> It's not. Bunch funny. of homo cavemen running around in Prada. <laughs> you know, they'd be like, ooga booga. No, Joe. <laughs> no, nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah. So, yeah, he's basically saying that. Human origins were in Africa, and then gradually uh, we evolved into like what more modern humans look like, and then you know spread out. So the discovery of more Neanderthal skulls, which was what was discovered in the Neander Valley in ancient rocks in 1886, bolstered the notion that humans evolved over time. So these finds in Spy Belgium showed that Neanderthals were not some barbarian tribe that lived a few centuries ago, but an ancient hominid species. Because Let's just say that the 1800s in Europe were a very, very, very racist time. Okay, I can see that. <laughs> you know, so, I think those belt buckles were like a dead giveaway. Or was that a different time? They had belt. Wait, what? On their hats. <laughs> You're thinking of pilgrims. Yeah, they were evil that racist. That was like the 1600s. We're in 1886. Oh, all those old people look the same to me. <laughs> Old white people yeah. in their buckle hats. Oh my goodness. They're the <laughs> most racist of them all. Anyways. So basically what these people thought at first was that the uh, bones of the Neanderthals were just like, you know, some lost tribe that wandered up to Europe and was just like one of the quote unquote savages from, you know, the, the exotic lands that they were conquering and stuff like that. But... The discovery of a Homo erectus specimen known as Java Man in 1891 by Eugene Dubois added another branch to the human fam- to the human family tree. So this is the second finding. Like the, you know, like the second major finding because okay. you know you have Neanderthals now you have Homo erectus. Okay, so we've graduated now. So there, uh, what I meant to say, there was more than one finding of the Neanderthal. Yeah, there there was more than one okay. finding, mm-hmm. and Homo erectus is a, a completely different species. Um, yeah, we stand upright. Yeah, the, they they were like one of the first ones to stand upright, right? Um, so now you're start you're starting to see like you know instead of like a chronology of like oh they changed to this and they changed to that, it's like you're starting to see branches in the tree. Um, so by the turn of the century, a reluctant paleontological community was starting to accept the notion of human evolution, but the elusive quote unquote missing link was yet to be found. 
emerging evidence that the cradle of humanity might be Africa or Asia crack kind of that fragile idea of European superiority. Mm-hmm. Like going back to that whole, there was a lot of racism. Like how, why would humanity like emerge from Africa or Asia or any of these, you know, like lesser than countries or areas? Um, so as Crystal DaCosta explained in her Scientific American article, The Missing Link That Wasn't, quote, For European nations, claiming this original citizen would establish their identity in relation to their geography, but it would also award a status regarding development. They all wanted to be able to say that our earliest human ancestor was tied to their nationality, and with each find, a pattern began to emerge in the fossils. Despite clear evidence that these species had walked on two legs, their skulls were decidedly ape-like. It was not what people expected or wanted to believe. Flat skulls with thick sloping foreheads and snout-like faces were not the original citizens they wanted. No. So they're like, you know what, never mind, you can be the first citizens (laughs) around, you ugly motherfuckers. Yeah, it's like... They don't. They don't look European, so we're, we're we don't want them as our missing link. So they're they're looking for something really specific. They want, um, and we'll get into it a little bit more as we as we go into the story. But they they want like the big brain coming first, and then the snout changing, which is not how humans evolved. Um. So getting back to uh, the honor of finding the the missing link was still up for grabs. And keenly interested interested in finding it were the English, because obviously the English had to, you know, possess everything at this time. You know, they're colonizing every single continent. Why not every scientific field? Take over history. Exactly. (laughs) So among one of these Englishmen was amateur archaeologist Charles Dawson, not to be confused with Charles Darwin. Dawson. <laughs> like from Dawson's Creek? Yeah, he's... Okay. he's oh. Charles Dawson's Creek? He's... That's what I'm going to call this episode. Dawson's Creek. <laughs> the Vanderbeek. <laughs> so Charlie Dawson was born on July 11th, 1869. Nice. Um, he was the eldest son of three siblings, When he was a young child, his family moved around, and he eventually settled down in Sussex. Obviously, this is in England, so we're English today. Good day, old chap. (laughs) Hello, governor. (laughs) Cheerio, old chap. (laughs) Uh, We we get to butcher another accent today. Hey, this one deserves butchering. (laughs) (laughs) I'm an old man. You know what? Considering how many British period dramas I watch, I should have a better English accent. And considering like how much like uh, Cogni music I listen to, I too should have a better British accent. The rain. (laughs) I can't. I can't. So, yeah, so Charlie Dawson, Charles Dawson, is living in Sussex, and there his interest in archaeology and geology grew. So, yeah, so he he's collecting rocks and fossils from around the area and just kind of, you know, exploring geology and archaeology as an amateur. Ooh, sounds a lot of fun. Yeah, but, you know, instead of continuing, you know, like going into higher education, he fathered, uh, he fathered, he followed Where? his father into, he fathered his father. <laughs> he fathered his father, his following. 
<laughs> no, he followed his father into the law profession and became a well-known solicitor in Sussex. So he's just a lawyer. All right. Just fine. That's okay. You can be a lawyer. Yeah. Dawson the scumbag. Yeah. <laughs> he is. This, well, however, his paleontological finds earned him far more praise than his legal works. His knack for finding rare or previously undiscovered specimens even earned him the moniker of the Wizard of Sussex. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty badass name. Yeah. I mean, if you're like finding stuff in, in rocks, that's kind of pretty cool. Yeah. I feel like back then they had a, a notion for just calling everyone a wizard if they were good at something. Because like, wasn't Edison called the wizard of whatever place he was working at? I can see that. Like the Wizard of Menlo Park. And Wizard of Oz. (laughs) Everyone was a wizard (laughs) back then. (laughs) Nice. So his early discoveries included teeth from a previously unknown species of mammal that was later named Plagiola Funyuns. Funyuns? I love Funyuns. (laughs) He invented Funyuns. Okay. He he must be a wizard. uh, Yeah. The species of mammal was later named Plagiolex dasoniae. That's what I'm going with. Okay. <laughs> it's too <Plague>. hard. <laughs> it's just like, it's just too many vowels. <laughs> Play. Play. Giala. Play. God. <laughs> Play. Galadasonia. Dasonia, yeah. P-L-A-G-I-A-U-L-A-X-D-A-W-S-O-N-I. Google it, people. Tell me how to say this word. Plagiolex plate. Sure. Anyways, okay. so he, uh, uh, you know, a species of mammal unknown <laughs> till till then. Okay. <laughs> no wonder. Get an easier name, people might remember like, you. Oh, you know. Yeah, sure. The mammal. Yeah. Tape. Let cool. those fuckers die. Oh, I can't. <laughs> Who are so, they again? Who cares? Can't, couldn't say their name when they were around. <laughs> yeah. So at the age of twenty-one. He was elected a fellow of the Geological Society and continued making amazing discoveries. So, you know, he's pretty young for being a fellow. Um, In 1895, he found a unique cast iron Roman statuette. And it was unique because the Romans weren't known to use cast iron to build anything. Oh, okay. Um, Neat. Uh, so he found that that same year he was elected a fellow of the Society of Ant- Antiquaries, London, in recognition of his work, specifically for that cast iron thing. So now the very young lawyer with no formal degree in archaeology or geology or paleontology or any of those things, he had two distinguished titles in those fields. So he's kind of like moving up in something that really isn't his, you know, uh, area of work so it's just he's really good at his hobby <laughs> okay <laughs> so it's like he should quit his day job maybe oh that's probably what's kind of like funding all his you know research or you know what we'll get into it later. okay so his further studies involved uncovering the final phases of roman occupation at pevensey castle uh he studied a petrified toad inside a flint nodule so this was literally a toad that he found in a, inside a rock so like the toad when he cut the or like broke the rock open there was a dead you know petrified toad inside Badass. so like how, how it got in there meh, i don't know uh he also um looked into claims of a sea serpent in the English Channel, 
which that's kind of cool. That is pretty cool. Um, less cool than a sea serpent is a, uh, he studied a cross between a goldfish and a carp. Okay, that but, sounds very interesting. Uh, you know, sea serpent, goldfish, still swimmy, I guess. <laughs> well, you're making your way to koi and they're kind of cool. Koi are pretty cool. Um, so, but still like that big discovery that he kind of wanted, that he needed to, you know, kind of get into, um, to like keep, keep climbing that social ladder still eluded him. So in 1909, Dawson wrote to his friend, Arthur Smith Woodward, complaining that he was quote, waiting for the big find, which never seems to come along. I love that name. Woodward. Woodward. Excuse me, Woodward. Could you please uh, fetch me my afternoon tea? And don't Certainly, skimp on the crumpets. Not <laughs> <laughs> just tisk. Just tisk. Don't skip on the crumpets. <laughs> Why don't you have any great pepon? They're all just. They're all just they were all wizards. They hate yeah. crumpets. And they ate the great pepon. And they had names like Jeeves and Woodland. <laughs> Woodward, Woodward. I mean, Woodward. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so f- perhaps for, for Dawson, you know, this big fine would earn him a fellowship of the Royal Society, or better yet, knighthood. Yeah, because he killed a dragon. He fought a sea serpent. Oh, okay, that's kind of close. <laughs> and a goldfish. Oh, man. <laughs> All right, Dawson. Get knighted. Get knighted. That Just like, like Elton John sort of- and John Lennon got knighted first before. <laughs> Did you know that? John Lennon was the first knight. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He slayed the first dragon, which made this trend that you can like not only be compassionate well, about humans the and, for quite a while, and yeah, <laughs> and chasing dragons and and making music to get knighted. He made this trend, you know. Mm-hmm. So Dawson followed it. Many other people did too, you know, Elton John and. I'm sure some <laughs> Nobel Prize members who weren't John Lennon. <laughs> who weren't John Lennon. Bob Dylan too. is a Nobel laureate. Well, he's kind of cool. Yeah, he he had cool hair. Has cool hair. But is he knighted? Did he slay a dragon? You know what? He was from that time. He's got that song, Everybody Must Get Stoned. Hey, there you so, go. Nobel Prize. Bam. <laughs> Knight that motherfucker. Knight him. But he's not English. It doesn't matter. You can't be knighted if you're not English. That's not fair. I want to be a knight. I do too. Well, let's start our own thing. Okay. You are Sir Jonah <laughs> of Light Your Bunsen of not. the Bunsen Burner. <laughs> and you are Lady Mariella of Knighthood. <laughs> um Queen of Light Your Bunsen Burner. <laughs> Queen of Bunsen Burners. There you go. Hey, wow, I just wanted a knighthood. Now I'm a queen. Damn. See, <laughs> Mariela moves up this ladder quickly. I, too, I moved too quickly. All right, back to Dawson. So, yeah, so 1909, he's saying he, you know, he's waiting for the big fine. And this kind of coincides with um, a major, major discovery, which happened in 1907. And that was uh, the mandible of a 600,000-year-old a hominid that is now known as Homo heidelbergensis was discovered in Germany. Nice. Um, to to that point, it was considered one of the earliest specimens of ancient hominid species, and you know that that missing link between humans and apes. You know, it, it was a huge discovery, and even now, heidelbergensis is that that the last common ancestor. They're the badass ones because their name is the best. Heidelbergensis. And, yeah. 
they were good at hydroponics and a lot of other hydro like hydro like techniques. Well, it's, it's Heidel, like Heidelberg. Uh, Heidel. Oh, because it's German. That's why. Yeah. 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 So, hey, we're back to Germany. Yeah. <laughs> we missed you. Yes, we did. <laughs> um. Yeah. So it was a huge discovery. So this is kind of like the, the kind of find that Dawson is looking for. He wants something that's going to make a big splash in the field. That's going to get his name, you know, recognized. It's going to get him a knighthood. That's going to get him a fellowship. Like he's described as being almost obsessive about, you know, getting that fellowship to the Royal Society. Which, you know, a lot of, like, you know, the upper echelon of people in in science at the time were members of that. And he just, he wanted to reach that so badly. So, fortunately for him... Silly peasant, you can't be a noble. Tricks are for kids. <laughs> Silly peasant. Yes, so he wanted to go from peasant to noble. You know, what kind of was going to do that is in in uh, February of 1912, Dawson wrote to his friend Woodward, to to Mr. Woodward, um, with news of a very new, interesting find. He claimed that in 1908, so four years before, a workman working at a gravel pit near his land in Piltdown uncovered an unusual piece of skull. So actually, like, the workmen had broken up this call thinking that it was a coconut. Like, this is just an interesting note that pops up in a lot of the accounts. They broke it up into pieces. And according to Dawson, upon his own visit to the site, he found other skull fragments and other, you know, smaller bones. And he told Woodward that the find would, quote, rival H. Heidelbergensis in solidity. So he's saying what he's got, this 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 skull, this piece of skull, is going to be just as big as like one of the biggest finds in in paleontology at the time. Yeah, right. Not with a name like hydrogenesis, you know. Hydrogenesis. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, all right. Let's see what you got, Dawson. Yeah. So he, you know, he he goes to Woodward, and you know, Woodward wasn't just any old buddy of Dawson. No, he was a noble. Yeah, he was. He, he was, was badass. He's English. Woodward. <laughs> so he was an eminent paleontologist, expert on fossil fish, and the curator of the geology department of the British Museum of Natural History. So he's a big shot. This guy had like Indiana Jones level clout. Oh, really? But with like old Whips. fish bones. Like nice. he was like the preeminent like so, expert on fossil fish. So he was dodging boulders and shit for like fish skeletons. I bet he was the one fighting the sea serpents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To find the goldfish. Mm-hmm. Yes. Grabbing his hat at the last minute. Mm-hmm. You know, he's Woodward. Woodward. <laughs> <laughs> I love Woodward. So if my I, computer worked right now, I would hella Google Woodward and see what he looks like. <laughs> So he he had traveled from Greece to South America studying fossil fish. Uh, His discoveries earned him many, many honors and titles. So he was like, you know, the ideal person to help Dawson with his newfound missing link. He had, you know, incredible, you know, he was credible. He had respect. You know, he was, you know, a big shot in the field. So the chronology of the early Piltdown finds is a, a little bit fuzzy just because most of it comes from uh, Dawson's kind of perspective. Um, so allegedly, 
Between 1909 and 1911, Dawson partnered first with a, a local chemistry teacher named Sam, Samuel Allison Woodhead. So we got another wood. Now he's, <laughs> he's, he's a woodhead, big old woodhead. <laughs> See, now the woodheads were like the hicks of the woodwards, you know? <laughs> like, like <clears throat> I'm going to my cousin Woodward's house. <laughs> And then, like, he's like, (laughs) um, Sir Woodhead is coming over today. (laughs) (laughs) So, so he partnered with Woodhead and then with Pierre Telhard de Chardin. Chardin, Cardin? Yeah, sorry. I like Chardin. Sardine. Sardine, yeah, Sardine's (laughs) better. Chardin? Yeah, it's French. French. He was super French. And this guy's actually later on one to become one of like, like a well-known philosopher and whatnot. But so Woodward probably just hung out with him because it, his name was so close to sardine. He's uh, like, you know, I did the goldfish and the 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 carp. Now I got to get me a sardine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but Pierre, sard- we're we're gonna end up calling him sardine the whole time, aren't we? <laughs> Let's just do it. The sardine. Okay. The sardine. The sardine and Woodland. <laughs> I mean Woodward. <laughs> He, he was a Jesuit Jesuit priest who was kind of start you know studying paleontology and like natural history and stuff like that, um, and he he was befriended by Dawson while he was staying in England for a bit. So between you know 1909 and 1911, uh, the men so Dawson and Sardine and Woodhead excavated around the gravel pit where you know uh, Dawson had found that piece of skull. But they only managed to find just a few more fragments of the skull and a few other remains, though uh, thought to be from early hominids. Uh, that's when Dawson wrote to Woodward. So remember that that first account comes in, in 1912, which is the, the letter to Woodward. So Woodward got so excited about the find that he decided to travel to the area and help Dawson as- excavate the site. So then between June and September of 1912, Dawson, Woodward, and here I put Telhard, but that's Sardine, excavated the site together. They ended up finding a jawbone, some teeth, and more skull fragments, mostly in the gravel pit soil heaps. And just note, most of the finds were made by Dawson. Mm-hmm. Bum, bum, bum. That's because Dawson's better than you at his job. Even though he's he's an amateur. He's from Dawson's Creek. <laughs> the Vanderbeek. <laughs> so now on December 18th, 1912, Woodward and Dawson presented their findings at a meeting of the Geological Society of London. At the meeting, Woodward showcased his reconstruction. So he, he took the pieces that they had recovered and reconstructed a skull. So they only had like the skull cap, like the jaw, some teeth, and other small pieces. So then he kind of fit that together with like a a, a mold and kind okay. of cast like a skull. So he claimed that it showed many similarities to modern humans in the skull shape and the molars. However, key differences were found in the brain size and the occiped which is like where the skull sits on the spinal column so okay. like, you know um the jaw itself was said to be almost indistinguishable from a young chimp we'll keep that in mind <laughs> and woodward's findings were kind of as follows the skull itself was similar to modern humans and had the essential features of the genus homo so they were in you know our one of it was considered to be one of our ancestors hey join the party um 
The brain capacity was about uh, 1070 cubic centimeters, a bit small compared to modern humans, which usually measure around um, 1200 cc's. I was going to say mine is much bigger. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Big brain, but there's nothing in it. <laughs> is that what that rattling is? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like one goldfish flopping around in there. <laughs> He's a really cute goldfish. Yeah. He's a cross between a, a goldfish and a carp. Yep. It's a koi. <laughs> and he chills with a sardine. Yeah, he chills with the yeah, sardine. Only on the weekends, though. <laughs> they both got to work. Uh, so the skull was estimated to be um, 190 millimeters in length and 150 millimeters in width. The forehead was steeper than that of Neanderthals, and confirmations of the occipital bones showed that brain morphology was similar to modern humans. Uh, two mol molars found were similar to those of modern sapiens, but were large and narrow and bore a fifth cusp. So they were they were a bit different than what you would see in like you know your your jaw, Jonah. Okay. The jaw uh, was missing canines, which uh, Woodward in his reconstruction, he put in like what you would think as canines, like larger teeth, more ape-like. More, okay. Um, like fangs? Yeah, like fangs. Kind of like fangs. Not not so pronounced, but you know. So it was assumed that the specimen was female because many of the features were quote-unquote weak or slight. So it was a dainty hominid, I guess. So they're like, oh, it has to be a woman. Yeah, it's fragile. It's fragile. So the specimen was estimated to be around five hundred thousand years old. Put putting it like in in the ballpark of that um, H. Heidelbergensis. Well, because after five hundred thousand years, a Woodward would never be fragile. Oh, not Woodward. <laughs> they got royal bones and blood <laughs> and jewels. Oh, can I see that royal bone? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. It's right All there right. next to the royal jewels. <laughs> We're filthy humans. So <clears throat> the proposed name of the new homo species was Yanthropus dasonii. I like that. It was Dawson's Don Man. <laughs> Dawson's Don Man. Dawson's, Dawson's Dong. Found <laughs> on Dawson's Creek. <laughs> the Dong Man. Not Dawson's Dong Man. <laughs> It's Dawn. That's not man. the kind of bone they found. <laughs> oh, okay. They found a Dawn bone. Um, so just a quick note. Woodward, Woodward. Woodward. <laughs> we can't we're not gonna be able to get through his name. It's a great name, that's why. So Woodward adhered to the orthogenesis theory of evolution, meaning that evolutionary changes occurred in a particular direction and are not just chance events. Um, so he saw this proof in Piltdown Man. The human-like skull combined with the more ape-like jaw meant that human evolution began with the brain. And all other human characteristics just kind of came, came as a result. So this is kind of like... That's using your noggin. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is more like, instead of like the evolution being like a branching tree with branches that, you know, some branches just kind of stop, you know, because that, that species went extinct. And others branching out and like it kind of like there's being branches this was more like a there's an ultimate form like there's a final form <laughs> right that everything is going towards so it's like dragon ball z people yeah <laughs> you know you got to get to that final form so you're it's, the perfect fighter yeah instead of like you know super saiyans it's super sapiens yeah um. see <laughs> 
So, so, you know, with the, with their unveiling of, you know, the Dawn Man or Piltdown Man, as it became colloquially known, some scientists heralded the find as one of the oldest examples of human species. Uh, the Manchester uh, Guardian at the time called it one of the most important prehistoric finds of our time. That's my favorite paper, by the way. The, yeah, he reads yeah. it all the time. All he has the time. stacks and stacks in yeah. his living room. It's weird. It's kind of a hoarder situation. <laughs> I'm scared for I you, can't Anna. forget. Don't ever forget, people. <laughs> He's been collecting them since 1856. Yep. Um, so not only did Piltdown Man fit the preconceived idea of what a human ancestor would look like, but he was also English. And very, very English, apparently. So English that a carved piece of bone found along with the remains was kind of called a cricket bat. And it was kind <laughs> of like this little, this little... I guess you would call it a meme of like ancient English man playing cricket because he's so fucking English. Yeah, he was teaching Mothman how to play. <laughs> Have we talked about Mothman on the, the podcast before? Um, we've mentioned him once or twice. Yeah. So Mothman is our, our boy. Yeah, he's the homie. Yeah. yeah. Homie with the big booty. Yeah, he's got he's slamming. <laughs> I wonder if how big him he and Pitman, you know, they're like doing it. They're like badass, you know, they're running shit. You know, there's like, hey, let's set a skull here. These damn homo sapiens will oh, think God. something, you know, and then we'll create a story. Then we'll prove them wrong because we'll set another skull over here and it'll look just a little bit different. And then Mothman just like, you know, smoking a fat one, laughing his ass off. Like, oh, that's great, Pitman. Shit. <laughs> damn, dog, take it to this 40. And then like, and then Mothman's like, yeah. is like, all right, hold up, bro. I'm going to go collapse a bridge. I'll be yeah. right back. <laughs> okay. And so, Pittman's just like, damn, man, I can only screw up history. I wish I could knock bridges down. Yeah. So the the earliest Englishman, which is kind of what um, Woodward started calling Piltdown Man, had his detractors. Almost as soon as the find was presented, prominent anthropologists and geologists began questioning the validity of the find and of you know and Woodward's reconstruction. Because what he created was just a model. First of all, the similar similarities of the jaw to that of a chimp prompted some to believe that the skull and jaw did not come from the same individual. In response, Woodward argued that the jaw contained molars that were more human-like than the, than the jaw and skull. In response, Woodward argued that the jaw contained molars that were more human-like and that the jaw and skull were found in the same gravel bed near each other, so therefore they had to belong together. Okay. I mean, kind of, I mean. Yeah, that's how, yeah, it makes sense. You find them together, they must belong together. It's like, you know, if you see Mothman flying over a bridge, and then that bridge collapses, and of course Mothman. And bridges, they just go together. Yeah, or, you know, Mothman made the bridge collapse. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so another aspect was that the proposed canine teeth of the Woodward reconstruction, they were kind of controversial. So a man named Sir, Sir Arthur Keith. Ooh. So we got an actual oh, He's knight. been knighted. Yeah. Mm, big well, guy over here. How do we know Woodward isn't? Maybe he just doesn't have to flaunt he, he his shit. He does get knighted eventually. Okay. Oh. So there, he will be Sir Woodward. Oh, good for him. <laughs> Sir Woodward of uh, Latter-day Saints. What? <laughs> <laughs> 
Anyway, so Sir Arthur Keith at the Royal College of Surgeons also reconstructed the, the skull, but his model appeared closer in appearance to modern humans. So, you know, when you just have like a, a couple of bone fragments, you can kind of arrange them in whatever way you want to make it look in whatever way you want. All right. Um, so specifically, he made the the teeth more human looking. So instead of having the big, you know, ape-like canine teeth, he kind of got rid of that and, you know, didn't include it in his reconstruction. So Keith called his version Homo Piltdownensis, completely, you know, like uh, getting rid of the D- Dawson part of it. So instead of like giving credit to Dawson, he's like, no, this is this was found in Piltdown. So we're going to call him Piltdownensis. I was going to say, that's what I look for in my Piltdown analysis is uh, no canine teeth. No canine teeth. Yeah. You know, don't like it to be too tooth teethy too makes it fangy too animally yeah like more human makes certain things a little more difficult yeah or less pleasant so then a few months later on august 30th 1913 pierre tillhard the sardine 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 yeah why am i even trying (laughs) (laughs) sardine found a canine tooth near where the jaw had been found so i mean they're questioning like why did why did woodward include canines in his model and then, oh, here we actually found a canine tooth near where the jaw was, you know, because because the jaw was found, it didn't have any canine included, right? Maybe he had a thing for vampires. They found a vampire. Nice. <laughs> um, no, like they were more like chimp-like teeth, but oh, okay. you know, in in his model, he's he's adding these canine teeth to make it look, you know, more Pildonesis? Sure. Yeah. So he, in 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 Woodward's model model, there's canine teeth, even though the the teeth that were found weren't, you know, like the jaw didn't have any canine teeth. It did have a spot where they would fit. Okay. So that's why he included them. But suddenly, like here comes sardines. Like, hey, I found a canine tooth, you know, near where the jaw was found, and it seems to fit the jaw perfectly and kind of resolves the question of whether the Piltdown man had canines or not. So it's, it's kind of like a lucky thing that comes up. Okay. Almost sounds a little bit too convenient. Yeah. 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 Um, but it, this didn't satisfy Sir Keith who then attacked the teeth again. Um, so he's, he now was saying that, you know, the, the large front canines prevented that side to side motion needed by human molars. So the debate was still up in the air. Go Sir Keith. He's yeah, on it. He's like he's no. like Sir Detective. Like nobody. I see you. Scotland see Yard you, and shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, but you know, even though Keith was one one of several opponents of the model, most English scientists generally accepted the find because hey, it meant that, you know, England was the the cradle of human evolution. Why not? Sure. But I mean, with bone structure and bloodline like Wood Woodward. Might as well. <laughs> so Woodward and Dawson continued ex- excavations in the gravel beds until 1914 when the spark of the First World War and Dawson's failing health stopped any further research of, you know, with them together. But in 1915, Dawson wrote again to Woodward claiming he had found the remains of a new specimen about two miles from the original Piltdown site. This became known as Piltdown 2. So at, at this site, parts of the brain case, a molar tooth, and a lower Pleistocene rhinoceros tooth were uncovered. So that that Pleistocene rhinoceros, so it's like a, an ancestor of rhinoceros, kind of like dated the the, the finds at the Pilt, uh, Piltdown 2 site. 
to to you know the uh, appropriate time period. Okay. So yeah, so th- the second find succeeded in persuading some of the skeptics that Piltdown Man was a genuine find. So, however, Dawson fell ill in late 1915, and the location of Piltdown Two was not documented. So it was kind of lost. So that meant, uh oh, yeah. So that meant Scandal. that Woodward, yeah. So it meant that Woodward couldn't go and like look for anything else. Now, the big thing is that Dawson died on September 10th, 1916 from septicemia. He had kind of had been suffering from a prolonged illness for a couple of years, but he finally, you know, passed away uh, that fall. So although Woodward had really tried to entice the location of Piltdown 2 from Dawson, he took that information to his grave. So now... Dawson's kind of fucked up. Well, I mean, there might be an explanation. I hope so, because that's kind of a yeah. big move. So following Dawson's death, no more finds were uncovered on any Piltdown site. And this is where we're going to stop for a little break. Woo, boy, am I beat. And we're back. So Dawson has just died, and you know, no more, you know, Piltdown Man finds are coming up anymore. Um, so So Mothman's heart is broken, Woodward's heart has been broken. Mm And everyone except for Sir Keith. Sardine's Sir heart Keith. is broken. Sir Keith, you know, Sir he Keith is just living his best life. Yeah. Tonight. He's just like, man, fuck y'all. You, you ain't on my status yet. Nope. So, you know, after his death, you know, even though there was nothing else being found, for the next 40 years, Piltdown Man remained the oldest known human ancestor, and it was accepted. It was proof that human evolution occurred on British soil. So even when older specimens were found in South Africa in the 1920s, that being the uh, town child, a sci- scientists were dismissive of it because it did not fit into the model that the Piltdown Man had created. Yet there were still some incredul- incredulous scientists, so Woodward kept tight control of who could study the bones. So he had access to the bones, but he was kind of keeping people from really like studying them very up close. Um, which Why? Well, what do you have to, Woodward? Well, we'll get to that. Hey, Woodward sounds like Squidward. Does <laughs> <laughs> he got a big old nose? Goes, <laughs> and then I think he was—he was more slender. And oh, like, was he? Kindly. Well, Squidward's slender, but not kindly. I don't think. Hmm. Yeah. This guy does like fish, and he doesn't allow people to do shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, know, I don't watch the cartoon, sorry. Back to Woodward and doing so, Dawson's job now because he died. On on July 23rd, 1938, a memorial for uh, for Charles Dawson was unveiled at the site of the first Piltdown discovery. Because, you know, he's still, you know, being, being you know, acclaimed as the discoverer of the most ancient human 
or Englishman. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So the, the stone uh, was a big, like, stone structure, and it was inscribed with, quote, Here in the old river gravel, Mr. Charles Dawson, FSA, found the fossil skull of Piltdown Man, 1912 through 1913. The discovery was described by Mr. Charles Dawson and Sir, so he did get knighted, Arthur Smith Woodward. Nice. And then Woodward gave a speech celebrating uh, Dawson's marvelous discovery, and he was, like, really, you know, grandiose because, you know, he's English, like, saying, oh, he'll forever be remembered by this find, and, well, he will. So, now things start to get a bit more complicated once more and more early hominids were discovered. So, you know, as that, that family tree is getting bigger, Piltdown Man began to look like a wayward branch on the evolutionary tree rather than a crucial link. So evidence was mounting for a slow process of evolution in which the jaw receded first and then the brain size increased. So it wasn't, you know... So Pittman was the outcast. Yeah. Piltdown Man was... Yeah, it, he was like a weird, like, aberration, you know, as opposed to what all the... Of, other evidence was showing. So on September 2nd, 1914, Sir Arthur Woodward died at the age of 81. He had spent most of his life studying and advocating for the Piltdown Man's veracity. With his death, the doors opened for further outside study of the skull, and well, it turns out it was a big old fake. Yeah. A big old fake. Too late. Fake. United him. He's a sir. He died on He night. died. There's nothing he could do about it. No backseas. You thought he slayed the dragon. He didn't. The dragon got him. You know. He was the dragon, you bitches. That's right. <laughs> and so, as for Dawson, he was in on it the whole fucking time, too. Wow. Oh, uh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, hold good. on. Hold on. <laughs> let's, let's take a few steps back. Let's find out how it was discovered that it was fake. So, in 1949... A man named Dr. Keith Oakley, Oakley, uh, who was a geologist and paleontologist at the British Museum, conducted a series of for fluorine aging tests on the Piltdown remains. The results revealed that the jaw and cranium could be no more than five than fifty thousand years old, which was far less than the five hundred thousand that was originally claimed. Although still ancient, this was from a period where fully developed Homo sapiens were already walking around the Earth. So Piltdown Man was no longer the frontrunner for earliest Englishman. Like, there was no way that he could have been a human ancestor when humans were already around at that time. So this was, this was step one. Then the final nail in the fossilized coffin came when, you know, Oakley and others jointly published an article in Time magazine. Here pre they presented the findings of a new array of analysis that the British Museum had allowed them to conduct on the specimen. These included uh, retesting for fluoride, checking the presence of iron, nitrogen, collagen, organic carbon, organic water, radioactive uh, radioactivity, and looking at crystal structures. The findings were shocking and kind of funny to me. Um, so they dated the part, you know, the upper part of the skull at about 500 years old. So it wasn't even 50,000 years old. It was like just, you know, a, a medieval some person. Old dude. Yeah. He was some, some person from, you know, medieval Europe. And the jawbone was no more than a few decades, decades old. So it was, it was, they weren't even from the same time period. 
So the fossil was a mix of modern human and orangutan bones that had been stained with iron and potassium dichromate and just, you know, regular old old paint to make them appear ancient. Um, the molars in the jaw had been filed down to make them look human-like, and the jaw was broken where it could be attached to the cranium, making it easy to reattach upon reconstruction. So it was broken at the perfect spot where, you know, if you just kind of put it where you wanted it, it would look fine. Um all the pieces had been laid out for gullible scientists eager for glory to put together. As Oakley and his team put it, they were, like all these scientists, were the willing victims of, quote, a most elaborate and carefully pre prepared hoax. The faking of the mandible, the jawbone, they wrote, is so extraordinarily skillful and the perpetration of the hoax appears to have been so entirely unscru unscrupulous and inexplicable as to find no parallel in the history of paleontological discovery. So they finally exposed the big old hoax. Proving that <clears throat> this was no accident. No. This was on purpose done. Oh yeah, 100%. So on November 21st, 1953, the New York Times ran the headline, Piltdown Man Hoax Exposed. Just like decades prior, Piltdown Man rocked the scientific community. But this brings us to the most important question of the episode. Who done it? Who did this? Now, I have a question. Did any of these English dudes go to New York when this was printed out? I don't think so, no. No, there's no Englishmen in New York. <laughs> I'm sure there was plenty of Englishmen in New York, but I don't know of any of these specific ones. Okay. Um, so through the decades, many possible culprits have been put forth. So we're going to do a little lineup of like some of the most prominent ones. And we'll go through the main suspects and then we can, you know, decide or discuss who we think probably did it. The usual suspects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going to Kaiser. There's going to be a Kaiser, Kaiser Suze. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> but before we go through the short list, let's kind of, you know, go over how complex this hoax was. And I'm going to quote from um, David Warm. Such a crazy last name. David Warmflash. <laughs> so as David mm -hmm. Warmflash described in his article for Science, quote, between 1908 and 1912, somebody, somebody collected several human cranial bones, possibly from a Saxon graveyard, and obtained a fragmented orangutan man mandible and purposefully broke it. Uh, broke the part of the bone that articulates with the rest of the skull. The perpetrator also filed down the teeth to disguise their ape-like nature, and later, just after the discoverers of the bones were challenged uh, that the lack of canine tooth made the hypothesis tough to swallow, a canine tooth appeared in the same place where the cranial bones and mandible had been dug up. Along with the cranium and mandible specimens, the hoax perpetrator uh, perpetrator gathered a plethora of bones and teeth from different mammals from various dig sites around the world, some dating authentically to the Pleistocene and Pliocene epochs hundreds of thousands of millions of years ago. The hoaxer also created bogus flint tools and stained everything reddish-brown with various chemical mixtures before burying all the specimens in a gravel pit in the town of Piltdown in England's Sussex region. The purpose of staining was to give the specimen a uniform color matching the gravel of the pit and two the hide surface features that might reveal the forgery. So that's just a long-winded way of saying someone went to a lot of trouble to do this. Very smart, though. Mm -hmm. Like, they, they thought of everything. Well, you know, well, almost everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did. Like, and Who did it? 
So let's kind of go through through some of the people. So one possible perpetrator is a disgruntled volunteer of Woodward named Martin Hinton. May I interrupt you just for one moment, yes. Mariela? Does this have any impact on, um, I don't know, I guess, that, that theory of evolution at this point? Well, we'll kind of talk about some of the repercussions. Okay. Yeah. And kind of, yeah. So this Martin Hinton, he was, you know, unhappy with how Woodward treated him. They kind of had a falling out over uh, funding. And then in 1970, so he had been working at the Natural History Museum with Woodward. In 1970, after his death, researchers at the Natural History Museum found a trunk that Hinton had left in storage there. Um, It was full of bone and teeth stained and whittled down in the same fashion that the Piltdown bones were. Nice. Yes. Evidence found. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, that's one of the, the you know, pieces of evidence that points to him. Also, in 1949, when Oakley, and that's the guy who did the flooring test that ultimately proved that Piltdown was uh, a fake. So, in 1949, when he was presenting the fluoride test results, he was approached by Hinton's wife, who told him to not meddle with Piltdown. So, Oakley himself believed that Hinton was behind the hoax. Really? Mm-hmm. So now let's talk about a funner option. <laughs> you know who Sir or- Arthur Conan Doyle is, Jonah? No, but that name is so awesome. He, he's the- Doyle's from the Misfits? Yeah. So it's Arthur Sir Doyle, Doyle from the Misfits? No. <laughs> can we say he's from the Misfits? He's He can be a Misfit, all right. Okay, cool. Yeah, he he's the creator of Sherlock Holmes. Oh, what? Nice. I love yeah. Sherlock Holmes. So, um... Not only was Doyle an accomplished author, he was also a believer in ghosts and thought he could contact them. Nice. Contact them. I love these kind of people. My yeah. favorite. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, spirituality in that time period was a big, big thing. Um, mm-hmm. But invoking the name of science, he attended seances and sat for spirit photographs. He touted those images as scientific proof of spirits. As a result, the scientific community ostracized him. So this could have left Doyle with a bone to pick with the scientific community. So he also lived in Sussex near Piltdown. And he had actually met with Charles Dawson shortly before the first Piltdown man discovery. Also, in his book, The Lost World, he wrote, quote, A bone can be faked as easily as a photograph. To some, this kind of sounded like a confession. Or a conspiracy theory. Bom, bom, bom. Um, so yeah, so that's one of the more fanciful ones. Now, another suspect is the, is the Jesuit, Jesuit, uh, who helped with the excavation, Mr. Pierre Sardine. Uh, Good old Sardine. So the evidence against the Sardine (laughs) is mostly circumstantial and primarily proposed by biologist and science writer Stephen J. Gould. I can't keep saying Sardine. The... It feels so disrespectful. <laughs> Sardine participated in the excavation of Pilton Man with Dawson and Woodward. He was also the one who found the missing canine tooth that fit Woodward's model. And some of the bones were uh, thought to have come from North Africa. And he had taught school in Cairo, meaning that he could have supplied the bones. Also. Blame it on the sardines. Yeah, he was the French sardine. And, you know, you shouldn't feel bad. Like, check this out. If he didn't want to be called Sardine, he would have had a cooler name like Dawson or Woodward. So, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, let's get back to him messing around with Pittman. Piltman. Yeah. <laughs> Piltdown, man. Piltdown, man. The Pittman works. <laughs> Pittman. <laughs> <The> Pittman. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so also to note when that you know, when that canine tooth was dis- was discovered shortly after he just he left and went back to France, he had nothing else to do with Piltdown. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He left his mark. <laughs> Sorry. Um, now there's Woodward himself. So the discovery of Piltdown Man aligned perfectly with his belief in orthogenesis. The other specimens found around the site would have been, you know, difficult to find for a hoaxer without access to those specimens. Specifically, uh, the hippopotamus premolar planted at Piltman was originally described by Woodward in 1894. And radioactive stegodon molar fragments were, you know, that were possibly associated with the upper biozone at the Perkman, uh, Pickerman were, would, uh, was where Woodward collect them in 1901. So it was radioactive? Um, yeah. Cool. Like, so it's all not, deformed not, and shit? N- no. It's, oh, no. It's radioactive just means that it had, you know, radioactive particles oh, okay. on it. Not yeah. that it was actually radioactive. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like how there could be a certain amount that no one cares about. Yeah. Okay. Um, so basically what is, you know, what, what would make wood, what points to Woodward's guilt is that there were other ancient or like fossils found along with Piltdown Man. And some of these were authentic fauna from like, you know, ancient times. But so someone who had access to these actual finds had to have put them there. Um, and so, we already know he has a whole chest. The whole treasure chest of bones. Oh, that was Hinton. Oh, it was Hinton. Oh, my bad. Yeah. Uh, That was another suspect. So, uh, moreover, someone as experienced as Woodward should have been able to spot a fraud. Because he was looking at these bones directly. And it's not like they were, we'll we'll touch on it, but it's not like they were a really, really good hoax. Some, um, you know, especially considering that several other scientists quickly noted the discrepancies between the skull and the jaw upon just, you know, a perfunctory examination. There was a guy who was like, literally, oh, like, that's a human skull and that's an orangutan, but orangutan jaw. Okay, so they knew right and away. And the teeth like... were filed down. So, like, some, like, they were, like, correctly, like, saying this is a hoax for a long time, but no one believed them. So, now, Woodward also had the credibility and the respect needed to push back against any naysayers. So, he kind of you know, used his his position to like his nobility. Yeah, to to like crush any opposition or like say like I, I don't care. I'm Woodward. I do what I want. I'm Woodward. And now there is the most likely suspect, and that's Charles Dawson. You know, he alone made the initial find and was involved in the entire excavation process. Even as an amateur, he had the knowledge to adequately procure the necessary bones and make them appear consistent with what the expected human ancestor would look like. He was the only person involved with the Piltdown uh, Pilt 2 site. So, I mean, he was the only one finding stuff there. And after his death, no more specimens were recovered. Possibly the most incriminating evidence is that out of all those incredible discoveries, you know, the, the toad, the, you know, mammal teeth, everything that earned him the, the nickname of the, the Wizard of Sussex, at least three, eight of them were proven frauds. Con artists, they knew yep. it. So in the past 100 years, studies have both exonerated and implicated Dawson in the hoax. 
but most recently in 2016, uh, paleoanthropologist Isabel de Groot, Groote, Groot, and her team. I am Groot. <laughs> yeah. Um, and her team used modern methods, so DNA analysis and spectroscopy, among other things, to uh, to determine the likely culprit. Someone who was not, uh, they determined that it was someone who was not a skilled conservator. So this would, you know, this points the finger at Dawson because he was an amateur. He didn't have a lot of skill, like actually putting the the um, uh, pieces together, the fragments together. For example, there was like putty that was used to keep the 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 teeth in place. So <laughs> the the teeth that were in the jaw, they were held together by like dental putty. <laughs> yeah. For example, the putty that had been used to fix the teeth in the jaw had been set to, to harden too quickly, causing the bones to crack. Professionals like, you know, Woodward or even Hinton would not have been so sloppy. But Dawson was not a professional in that, in that sense. You know, in their findings, quote, that consistency in the modus operandi and the use of a limited number of specimens to create both the Piltdown 1 and Piltdown 2 material are indicative of a single forger. To them, that was Dawson. That was their conclusion, that it was <clears throat> Dawson who did this. He also wanted it more than everybody else because everybody else was already like nobles and fucking like had status, you know? Yeah, he, he, he had, had the most the most to gain. gain. Yeah. Yeah. Jinx. jinx. <laughs> Double jinx. Oh, you got me. <laughs> so Jonah, who who do you think did it? Who do I think did it? Mm-hmm. Oh, I think it was uh Dawson and um Woodward. I think you know they what? were in I on think, it. I think they he, if at first Woodward wasn't in on it, like you have to think that this guy had to be so gullible to not yeah. see, because it, it it was sloppy, like it was sloppily put together, like the yeah, teeth. No, you know, he, you could see the filed down teeth, and or or it could have even been like this, like Dawson was screwing around the whole time. Wood uh, Woodward. You know, he's like backing him up. He's like, yeah, yeah. And then he realizes, oh, shit. But I've already said too much. And I got this status. So I'm, I might as well keep the hoax going. You know, thinking maybe if I do this, this, and this, I'll never get caught until I'm dead anyways. Yeah. But like the argument against that is that even after he retired, like he spent his whole life, like, you know, advocating for Piltdown Man as a real thing. And even after he retired... He moved to Piltdown to continue excavating the sites, to continue looking for more stuff. Well, never admit guilt, you know? Like, fake it till you make it, you you know? know, That's a huge amount of effort. Maybe he was looking for something. Maybe, okay, there you go. Maybe he was that gullible and he was looking for that piece that would prove everything turns around. I don't think so, personally. Maybe he was just looking for, like, an old, like, coin or something to cash in real quick or no, something. No, he was but, looking for Piltdown. <laughs> but, like, I don't know. Like, I I think he had to know. Yeah, I, I think so, too. I think he, he at some point had to realize. Or, like, at the very least suspect. But I, for sure, I definitely think that Dawson was the main perpetrator. Oh, like, yeah. the main hoaxer. Like, there, like, from, you know, the story of him, like, you know, walking to the to the gravel side and then like you know feeling like he had to go look at it and then like oh like the workmen giving him a piece of skull and then exactly you know it's he, just it yeah. all fit too perfectly it did. and i feel like sardines just not important enough to care yeah you know like 
there's there's some debate of whether he he himself knew, but you know he was a, a I was reading on him a lot and a little bit and just the schedule that he kept because he was like you know a religious figure uh, and philosopher you know he had you know daily confessions and all this stuff that you know people who argue that he had nothing to do with it would say like he kept silent for you know like 50 years like there's no way anyone could do that especially like someone that religious like yeah yeah yeah. he's not the main player in this it's definitely dawson and woodward yeah i think i i think so for sure dawson woodward maybe just went with it after um so now i mean like whomever the hoaxer was they what they did had really long lasting repercussions they held back the progress progress of human evolutionary science for decades Genuine specimens were overlooked because they did not fit into the Piltdown model. It stoked mistrust in the authenticity of other hominid fossils. And even now, those who do not believe in evolution point to Piltdown as proof of, you know, hey, they, they're all hoaxes. There's, you know, humans didn't evolve. You know, humans were made. And, you know, whether it was... Well, that's how I thought humans were made. There was this, like, magic dude in the sky who came down. He blew on some dust, and then dude was there, and then he broke his rib open and fucking made woman, and then they played with snakes. Oh, and from no man's rib. Woman, make a sandwich. Yes, you were. <laughs> there were snakes and apples involved, too. <laughs> it was a damn good party. <laughs> So, you know, whether this whole thing was a ploy to get into a special science clubs or, you know, a prank on an employer, the Piltdown fraud was deeply damaging to science in general. And, you know, it's important that we learn about it because it just goes to show how we need to, how science should be incredibly rigorous and you just can't jump on a bandwagon. It's not sports people. Yeah. Like, Jonah, do you have anything to add? Um, no, 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 <laughs> no. Good. you covered it. Yeah. So that that was Piltdown. That that's yeah. the story of Piltdown, man. So the, Piltdown was a scam, a sham, a, a master plan, fraud. a diagram by Dawson. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is this gonna be a whole Piltdown rap? Yeah, I could. <laughs> Piltdown rap. So you know, uh, we want to thank everyone for listening today. Um, if you like the show, you can go to Apple Podcast and give us a rate and review. If you want to be even more amazing, you know, like want to be the most incredible, you know, Homo sapien out there, like can, a noble, you know, yeah, you can. We yeah. we will knight you. Yes, you can be a knight of the Bunsen burner. Um, you can donate to the show by going to anchor.fm slash Pod and clicking the support this podcast button. Give us some money, please. <laughs> Uh, if you want to share your opinions about this episode or if you want to, you know, suggest future episodes, uh, you can drop us a line at our email, bunsenburnerpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on the internet at our website, bunsenburnerpod.com. We're also on Twitter at bunsenburner19 and on Instagram as bunsenburnerpod. You can find me at Gatos and Tiaras on Twitter and Instagram, or you can search my name on Facebook and you'll find me there probably. Uh, Jonah, do you want to tell everyone how they can find you? 
All right, well, I'm your funky homo sapien that would never hoax, fraud you, or anything like that. I'm a straight shooter, so you can hit me up at bakerbase at yahoo.com. That's B-A-K-R-B-A-S-S at yahoo.com. Or look me up on Facebook. That's Jonah Baker. And as always, we want to thank uh, John Oddway for letting us use his song Bunsen Burner as a theme to our show. That man should be knighted. He is the knight of the Bunsen Burner. That's what I'm saying. Uh, so go listen to his music. Sir he, John Oddway. Yeah. There you go. Sir John Oddway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, you know, his music is the missing link in your life. In all of our lives. Really? Yeah. So. Bye. bye. <laughs> la, 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 la. Let me be your Bunsen Burner. Let me be your naked flame.